Good morning, and welcome to all those that are here in person and those that are watching online. We're glad that you can connect with us today as we continue on in our series of rebuilding. There's a story told of a, a young man who had a parrot. Unfortunately, this parrot was a foul-mouthed parrot, okay? So everything that this parrot would say, every other word was a bad word, right? And the, the owner, this young man, tried his best to train this parrot by playing some nice soft music, trying to say some nice words to help this parrot to be able to learn the right vocabulary. But time and time again, this parrot would just use foul language. And so the, the owner at one point got really frustrated and he took the parrot and threw him into the freezer and closed the door. And after some flapping around, flapping, flapping, he, and then he just heard some silence. And then he got scared if he had actually hurt the parrot permanently. So he opened up the freezer, and the parrot came out, and the parrot said very nicely, my apologies for all of my bad language. I will never again say any more bad words. Please forgive me for what I have done. And before the owner could ask, what in the world happened that you had such a change of heart and a change of spirit? The parrot said, can I just ask one question? What did the turkey do wrong? <laughs> the, the consequence of his actions came alive to him. And realizing what the punishment could possibly be, this parrot changed directions. Today, the, 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 the topic of the message today is repentance and confession. And how many times for us, we might feel bad about something that we've said or done, but only because it's come to light, right? Or only because we realize the punishment or we realize the consequence instead of a real, true, genuine repentance and turning away from that because of a feeling of deep sorrow uh, and conviction. Some time ago, it was known as the slap heard around the world. Do you know what I'm talking about? At the Oscars, there was one particular actor who slapped another actor, right, live at the Oscars, and everyone saw it. And afterwards, there was, you know, uh, immediately, there wasn't such a regret or sorrow, but afterwards, once the impact was seen and the consequences were seen and it started to set in, there was a deep regret. Even recently, as many of you know, I'm a sports fan. Recently, you might not have heard this, it wasn't such headline news, but there was one, uh, a basketball athlete who punched another basketball athlete at a practice, right? And the video of what happened came out. And the organization more than anything else, was trying to figure out how did the video leak, right? And they were trying to figure out how uh, other people got to see what happened. Maybe if the video didn't leak, the athlete might not have felt so bad about what happened. But because the video leaked and it spread all over the, uh, the, the, the NBA and because of everything that had happened, then there was a deep sense of sorrow and regret. I wonder how many times in our life it's like that right? That there's a, 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 a sense of sorrow and regret when maybe the consequences or the punishment or something like that comes to light. 
But as long as nobody else knows, then maybe it's not so bad what we're doing. But how many know there's somebody that's always watching? Jesus, our Lord, he's always watching. He's always seeing what's happening. And as we look at repentance and confession today, repentance is a, a turning away from a, a way that we are going because of a, a deep regret and sorrow and conviction and turning in a completely opposite direction. Sometimes things that we do in our life, we will regret. And sometimes the Lord allows opportunities for us to make amends, and sometimes there isn't that opportunity. And we need to be able to repent before the Lord. Um, does anyone know who invented dynamite? A very destructive force? Nobel. Nobel. Alfred Nobel, right? Do you know how his name is connected and connotated right now? Not with destruction or war, but with what? With peace, the Nobel Peace Prize. He invented dynamite, and his hope originally was that nations would see the destructive power of dynamite and would come to the conclusion that it's not worth it, let's not have any wars. Well, he was a little bit naive, I think, in his thinking, and unfortunately, it led to so much destruction and so much damage as well. But uh, when he died, he left uh, his fortune in order to start the Nobel Peace Foundation to help, uh, to give prizes to people that are advancing the cause of humanity uh, and peace. Now, we don't know for sure, but there might have been some regret. Uh, people speculate that he did that because of a sense of regret that he had because of his greatest invention, uh, dynamite. Similarly, Albert Einstein, even though he didn't have first-hand connection to creating um, the atomic bomb, he did, later on in life, had regret about some of the things that he had discovered and even a letter that he had written to the President of the United States encouraging them to uh, look into nuclear warfare because he was thinking that Germany was doing the same thing during World War II. Actually, in an interview in, uh, with Newsweek in 1947, he said this, had I known that the Germans would not succeed in developing an atomic bomb, I would have done nothing. Meaning he wouldn't have even sent that letter to Franklin Roosevelt um, at the time. And so as we, as we see throughout history and even in our lives, there can be regret and there can be sorrow. The question is, what is the instigator of that regret and sorrow? And is it out of a, a sincere conviction that God is giving to us or is it only because of the consequences that come out or the punishment that can be seen later on. As we're studying through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra began to teach the Word of God, and he renewed the celebration of the feasts, and the leaders realized as they started to celebrate the feasts and as they started to read the Word of God and as they started to seek after the Lord, they realized that there was a lot of disobedience, rebellion uh, against God and against His Word that they needed to repent of, right? And as we read, as Aaron uh, read for us this morning, they repented with all of their heart. They fasted, first of all, that it says in that passage of Scripture uh, in Nehemiah chapter 9 that we read, they fasted. They remained standing for three hours while the Word of God was being read. How many here, right, we, we didn't tell you to sit down, you were standing while the Word was being read. How many here, honestly, don't answer, don't put up your hand. You were thinking, when are they going to ask us to sit down? We're still standing. Should we sit down yet? We're still standing. 
They stood for three hours while the word of God was being read. And then for another three hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord. They were serious. And actually, the rest of the day, the priests led in prayer and they, uh, in prayer and in worship. Friends, as we are in this season of rebuilding, as the Lord is challenging us and asking us to look at our lives and see where are we, as we take time to, to do a complete reset in our own lives and in our families, to put a priority on God's Word and in prayer and in seeking the Lord and in spiritual disciplines, which we'll talk about um, uh, next week, as we, as we look to the Lord in various ways, what are we doing to rebuild our lives? What are we doing to turn to the Lord in repentance and in confession? I was blessed that this week a number of you uh, were commenting as we were reading through the book of Ezra and just reading some of your comments and just uh, encouraged me that you're engaging in God's Word, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, seeing people put that discipline back into their lives. Well, starting tomorrow, we're going to be reading through the book of Nehemiah. So can, you just, can I ask you just take out your phone right now, open up your web browser. Yeah, you can do it right now. Don't... Yeah. Take out your phone right now, open up your web browser, go to uachome.org slash join plan, and you can join us in reading through the book of Nehemiah. So today was the last day we were reading through Ezra 10. That chapter in and of itself connects a lot to what we're talking about uh, this morning, but starting tomorrow, we're going to start with Nehemiah chapter 1. So if you can go there, uachome.org slash join plan, join us uh, this week. It's a 10-day plan, so it'll take us a little bit more than a week uh, to read through the book of Nehemiah. And let's take these steps to renew ourselves in God's Word, to put these disciplines of seeking the Lord in the Word of God and in prayer as well. And so I just want to share with you a few things uh, this morning about this, this idea of coming back to the Lord and understanding what happened to the Israelites and how it connects to our story now. Is I've already given you so many spoilers already in this whole story of Ezra and Nehemiah and talking about how Jesus is the answer and Jesus is the, um, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this. Uh, if you got our bulletin this week via email, if you're not on our, on our email list, I encourage you to sign up. But on that uh, bulletin, there was a video uh, that talked about the story of Ezra and Nehemiah and the fulfillment in Jesus. I want to encourage you to watch that. It's a spoken word summary of Ezra and Nehemiah that's very powerful, but it connects so beautifully to the story of Jesus and how Jesus fulfills all of what it's talked about in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So I want to encourage you to watch that video. It's about 10 minutes long. But as we're working through these books, we can see a lot of similarities and particularly see how Jesus fulfills what was unfulfilled for them. So number one, the first thing is that their story, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the story of the children of Israel, is our story as well, right? You can read through the, uh, about the, the children of Israel. It was a cycle of sin and it was a cycle of disobedience and unfortunately, we can relate. Can't we? So what happened? God would bless them. They would turn away from God. God would allow their enemies to come and attack them in order to bring them to repentance. Then they would cry out to the Lord, Lord, help us. And then God would answer. And God in his mercy and his compassion would rescue them and save them and forgive them and bless them. And they would be all happy. And then what happens after that? The cycle starts again. 
right? That they would get comfortable in their blessing from the Lord. They would get comfortable in what God was doing, and the whole cycle would start again. And so many times in our life, we're in this situation as well where maybe we're trying to do something good, but instead of doing something good, we do something bad. Have you ever experienced that before? Where there's some good intentions to do something, but instead of doing something good, something bad comes out instead? Well, Paul had that same struggle and problem. He says here in Romans chapter 7, he says, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can anyone here relate to that? I can, right? Where you're trying to do something good, but instead you do something bad. You're trying, to do, you're trying not to do something bad, and then you still end up doing it. And there's so much within our own sinful nature that we battle and we struggle with jealousy and envy and pride and strife and um, just uh, wrong things that, that come up within us. And this is the struggle of sin that's, that's trying to, the sinful nature that's trying to dominate over us. But it, it predates even Ezra and Nehemiah and the children of Israel. If you go all the way back to the garden or all the way back to the, the time of Adam and Eve with Cain and Abel, Cain uh, uh, being tempted to kill Abel, Cain in a situation where Abel's offering to the Lord was accepted and Cain's offering to the Lord was not accepted, God tells Cain this. He says, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And so even from that very time, God was telling Cain, you have to be able to master this sin. You have to be able to control it. You have to be able to overcome it. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to, and he ended up killing, killing Abel, his own brother. And years later, we see the same struggle with the children of Israel, a cycle of disobedience and wanting to do what was good, but instead doing what was evil, and then even coming to the apostle Paul as well. And, and this is the predicament that we all find ourselves and before we can even get to a place of repentance and confession, we need to come to a place of being able to say that we are sinners. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Friends, every single one of us in this room, we're sinners. We're in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And not only that we are sinners, there's something even graver than that. Do you know what's even graver than the fact that we are sinners? Is the penalty that Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's even graver. That's even more difficult for us to comprehend and swallow that the wages of sin is death. But thanks be to the Lord, he doesn't leave us there. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One of the kings of Israel before Ezra and Nehemiah's time, his name was King David. And David was chosen by God and elevated to the throne of Israel. And as David was king over Israel, it was known as the glory days of Israel because Israel became the dominant nation all throughout the world. But David made a grave mistake that he lusted after a woman and committed adultery with her. 
And to pile on top of that, he ended up murdering and killing her husband. And it was sin upon sin. And David thought that he got away with it until the prophet came and confronted David and said, you are the man, you are the one that did this. And in that time, then, thankfully, David repented. I want to encourage you to take some time to read Psalm 51. It's David's prayer of repentance. It's David's prayer of contrition to the Lord and asking forgiveness of what he had done. I've prayed that prayer many a time in my life and asking the Lord for forgiveness. And so for our lives as well, it's, it's important for us to realize that Israel's story is our story. Israel's cycle of disobedience is what we also struggle with in our own sinful nature, right? There was a man that came for prayer after the service, not here, came after the service for, for prayer to the pastor, and as he was praying with the pastor at the altar, and he prayed a prayer that he would often pray, and he said, Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. Take the cobwebs out of my life. And as he was praying that, like that, the pastor uh, interrupted and said, and said, Lord, kill the spider. Because <laughs> it's not just about dealing with the, the symptoms or the outward things that happen. It's about dealing with the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is our sinful nature. And I'll get to that near the end. It's important for us to understand what is the root of all of these things that are, that are, that are coming about. Number two, repentance and confession draws us back to the Lord. As the children of Israel repented of their sin, they were drawn closer to the Lord. Friends, just as we said, the wages of sin is death. The beauty is that the gift of God is eternal life. There is, it's not that God comes to condemn us. No, God comes to convict us because he gives us hope to deal with the situations and circumstances in our life where we find that we are failing and falling short of God's glory. They were, the children of Israel were drawn back in as they repented and as they confessed. They were drawn back into altar building and temple building as we talked about in the, in the last uh, few Sundays. In Ezra chapter 6, uh, they started to celebrate the feasts again and being drawn back into the presence of God. It says here, the Passover meal was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and by the others in the land who had, who had turned from their corrupt practices to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Then they celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. There was great joy throughout the land because the Lord had caused the king of Assyria to be favorable to them so that he helped them to rebuild the temple of God, the God of Israel. There was great joy through the land as, they, as the people started to repent, as the people started to confess, as the people started to rebuild, as the people started to build that altar and build the temple and, and come back to celebrating the feast. There was great joy. Friends, in this season of rebuilding, in this season of renewal, in this season of revitalization, in this season where God is giving us an opportunity to reset and rebuild, there is great joy that he wants to fill our lives with. There's great joy that he wants to fill our lives with. Probably the most famous verse in the book of Nehemiah, if you know any verse in the book of Nehemiah, it's probably this verse. It was talk, it, we'll talk a little bit about this later on when we talk about enemies that come against us, but there were some enemies coming against Nehemiah and the people, and Nehemiah encouraged the, the people to say that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Anyone remember, know that verse? 
Yeah, that's found in the book of Nehemiah. We'll read it this week, right? The joy of the Lord is your, is your strength. And so there's great joy as God draws us back to him. Throughout Israel's history, throughout their early church, we see God drawing people to himself. Time and time again, when there's repentance and confession, there's also joy and there is renewal and there is forgiveness. The, the story is told in the, in the New Testament when Jesus met a man named uh, Zacchaeus. And, and Jesus came and told Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat. And Zacchaeus, he saw Jesus at the very presence of Jesus being confronted with the son of the living God, Zacchaeus repented. And he said, half of my goods I'm, I'm giving, to feed the, uh, giving to feed the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to restore that person fourfold. And there was joy that came into Zacchaeus' house. As Jesus said, he also is a son of Abraham. He also is a child of God. In Acts chapter 3, when the, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and, and the people were wondering, what should we do in response to this? Peter encourages them and he says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Peter encourages the people and he says, Repent of your sins and turn to God. And then times of refreshing are going to come. Refreshing, renewal, revitalization, regeneration will come to our lives. Friends, if we make that decision, that step today to say, yes, I need to confess my sins. Yes, I need to repent. Yes, I need to turn to the Lord. Yes, I need to acknowledge the, the failures of my own human nature. I need to acknowledge the, the, the failures in my own heart and in my life, the, the pride that is creeping in and that's growing in my heart, the, the lust that is in my heart and in my life that continues to come up time and time again, the, the envy and the jealousy and the contention and the strife and all of these other things, the, the lying and, and, and the, the, the stealing maybe or whatever else it might be, that we are turning away from God. I want to encourage you today that in confession and repentance, there is also joy and peace and love and forgiveness and hope that Jesus gives. In the book of Revelation, speaking to one of the churches, we studied this uh, last year, and speaking to one of the churches, the response of Jesus to this church was, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. A lot of the times we like to focus on the love and mercy and grace of Jesus, and that's wonderful, and we should. It's, it's a great thing to be able to know the love and forgiveness of Jesus. But how many know that as a loving Heavenly Father, He also corrects and disciplines us? For what Heavenly Father wouldn't correct or discipline, right? And it's not easy. Unfortunately, for the very first time, had to make a correction to Joel. Oh, it was so painful in my heart. I don't know how you guys, other parents, you've done this for so many years. It was so tough. It was the hardest thing to do. My heart was breaking. Laura's as well. But because we love him, he had to receive it. And he learned. Hopefully he remembers that lesson for the, for the rest of his life. Uh, but I have a feeling we're going to have to remind him every now and then. Um, but as a loving heavenly father, he corrects and disciplines us. As a loving heavenly father, he 
disciplines his children. And it's the same for us. That's why he says here, I correct and discipline everyone I love. But look at what he says right after that. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. See, it's not just about the discipline. It's not just about the call to repentance. It's not just about the call to confession. No, it's in repentance and confession, Jesus draws us back in love with him. In confession and repentance and in turning to the Lord, there is a turning to the love and grace and joy and peace that Jesus gives. Repentance and confession draws us back into relationship with Jesus Christ. He's standing at the door and knocking. I'm wondering how many, uh, how many uh, of, of us that Jesus is on the outside and knocking on the doors of our hearts and saying, please, can you let me in? Friends, as we look at our lives, as we examine our lives, and as we see the failures of our lives, can we turn to the Lord knowing that he is drawing us, he is calling us back to himself? Number three is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament laws. This is, this is significant for the next point that I'm going to talk about. I just want us to be able to understand with Ezra and Nehemiah, they are, are bringing back Zerubbabel and so many of the other leaders. They're coming back to Israel. And we talked about this already. They came back to Israel. They're rebuilding the altar. They're rebuilding the temple. They're starting sacrifice up again. They're starting feasts up again. They're doing all of these things. We talked about covenants and altars and how they're all uh, intertwined together. So we're not going to talk about that right now. But as they came back and they said, look, we are going to come back to the law of Moses. We are going to come back and renew the commitment because we have failed. Unfortunately, they were coming back to a place that they were doomed for failure again. Because in keeping of the law, it was an impossible task for them to do. And as they came back to renew this covenant, there was, there was a fault in that covenant that they weren't able to keep it because they didn't have what we are able to have now because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And they came back to a place where there was still going to be this cycle of disobedience, this cycle of rebellion, this cycle of failure to the law. It wasn't that the law was bad, but the law, as Paul says, brought out the sin that was in them. Because Paul said, Lying wouldn't have been a sin if the law didn't say that it was a sin. But then Jesus comes along. Hundreds of years later, this man, Jesus Christ, comes along. God incarnate to live a blameless, selfless life. And he comes and does what the children of Israel found impossible to do. He comes and does what the children of Israel could never do. He comes and does what what was lacking in the relationship between the children of Israel and God, and in that Jesus came to fulfill all of the Old Testament law. In Matthew, he says this, don't misunderstand, this is the words of Jesus, why I, why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Or in other translations, it says, I've come to fulfill them. Sometimes we try to ignore all of the commandments and laws in the Old Testament and say, oh, that was for another time. Well, Jesus didn't come to say that. Jesus actually came to say, I have come to fulfill them. In me is the fulfillment of that. Because Jesus was the sinless Lamb of God. 
He was the sinless Son of God. And he was able to do what the children of Israel couldn't do. And that was keep the covenant, to keep the law of Moses, to fulfill every single law and commandment that was given. Jesus was able to do that. And he did that for you and for me. He did that so that we might have hope. That's why in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. See, in Jesus, all of the laws and all of the commandments that the children of Israel could not keep, that they found impossible to maintain, they tried in coming back during the days of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. They came back to Jerusalem. They wanted to renew the covenant. They wanted to come back to God. They repented. They cried out to the Lord. But they were in this cycle that found themselves in a cycle of sin over and over and over again. And so God sends Jesus, his son, into the world, not to destroy the law and not to say, oh, that's a bunch of baloney or that's invalid. No. Jesus comes to actually fulfill the law. In Christ, all of the promises of God, all of, all of the law is fulfilled in Jesus because he lived a blameless life. The life that we could never live, the life that the children of Israel could never live, Jesus lived. And because he did that, he made provision for us. Because if you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, you can see Ezra as sort of the new Moses. Moses came and he brought the law. Ezra is like the new Moses. He came to renew the law for the children of Israel. And then Nehemiah came along, and Nehemiah is like the new Joshua, coming to renew and, and build and conquer and, and, and establish Jerusalem. But both Ezra as the new Moses and Nehemiah as the new Joshua pointed towards the coming of another person because they were insufficient in, of, in and of themselves. They were not able to keep that covenant. They were not able to keep that law. They were in a cycle of sin that went over and over again. And so they pointed towards the coming of another person. They pointed towards the coming of another man. They pointed towards the coming of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came and brought in not the old covenant, but he came and he fulfilled the law. And because he fulfilled the law, he had a standing to be able to say, I am now bringing in a new covenant for my people. I am now bringing in a new covenant. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about this high priest. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. This was the difference. For the children of Israel, they were tempted time and time again, and they failed and they faltered. And it's the same thing with us. But when Jesus came, he faced the same temptations, he faced the same struggles, he faced the same difficulties. But the Word of God says clearly that he did not sin. So now let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help when we need it the most. Friends, Jesus came not to destroy the law, not to discard the Old Testament, not to say all of that is invalid, no. Jesus came to fulfill the law because the children of Israel couldn't fulfill it. They couldn't keep their part of the covenant. They couldn't keep their part of the pact. And so Jesus comes, fulfills the law, and in fulfilling the law, he brings in this new covenant. He is the fulfillment of the law. 
He is the fulfillment of the promises of God. He is the new Moses, the new Joshua, the new Ezra, the new Nehemiah, the new Zerubbabel that actually builds that altar and temple in our lives and we become part of that body of Christ which we've talked about before. And so, finally, because of the new covenant, we are empowered by the Spirit to live in obedience to the Lord. The one thing that the children of Israel didn't have that caused them to be in this cycle of disobedience, the one thing that they didn't have that we have the privilege of in this time of grace is that we have the sacrifice of Jesus as the one who fulfills the law, and now he says, I am going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I am going to send my spirit into the world, into my people, and they can live empowered lives that are going to be holy, sanctified, pure in obedience to me. And you might think that's impossible, that's hard. Well, in and of ourselves, in and of ourselves with our own sinful nature, we are just like the children of Israel in the cycle of disobedience. But if we come to the Lord in repentance and confession, acknowledging our state, Paul, uh, Peter says it this way in, in Acts chapter 2, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, this is the key part here, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwelling and abiding and living within us, Him empowering us will empower us for holy living. The Spirit of the Lord filling us and empowering us will help us to live in obedience to the Word of God. The, the children of Israel didn't have this opportunity, but because Jesus came and he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the Old Testament covenant and came with his own new covenant that says, I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit upon you and I will forgive you and I will write my laws and my commandments in your heart and in your mind and you will be obedient to that. It is through the empowerment of the spirit that we are able to live and walk in this new covenant. We read in, in Romans chapter 7, the struggle of the Apostle Paul, that he said, he said, when I want to do something good, I end up doing something bad. And when I see something, when, I, when I'm trying to, when I don't want to do something bad, I end up still doing it. And there was a very real struggle in Paul's life. And so in the next chapter, he gives us the solution. And I want to encourage you, when you go home today, to read through Romans chapter 8. Our life groups are going to be digging through that a little bit this week. But I want to just read for you a few verses in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, this is, this is the solution. This is the answer. Paul in Romans chapter 7 is struggling and he's saying, look at the sinful nature that is within me. I want to do good, but I do bad. I don't want to do this bad thing, but I still end up doing it. So what's the answer? How can I overcome this? How can I overcome this lust? How can I overcome this jealousy? How can I overcome this envy? How can I overcome this pride? How can I overcome this sinful nature, this lying and stealing and, and wrong thoughts and, and, and all of these things that I'm feeling in me that is making me not a Christ follower, not a, a Christ bearer, but instead filled with just um, anger and, and, and defilement. And Paul says we do this by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. He says the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. He's talking about the Old Testament law. The, the, law, of Moses the law of Moses couldn't make us Christ's followers. That's why Jesus came to fulfill that law. And verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. And that's what happened for the children of Israel. Time and time again, it was that sinful nature, it was that cycle of disobedience that, that was leading to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life 
and peace. As Peter said in, in, in Acts chapter 2, repent of your sins and be converted, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit controlling our minds that leads to life and peace. Verse 9 says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. We were before. The children of Israel were before. It's why there was this continual cycle of disobedience. But now you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Repent and be converted and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God living inside of us, controlling us, empowering us, sending us forth to be image bearers of Jesus Christ. Verses 12 to 14 in this chapter says this, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. There are those urges. There are those times when our sinful nature is going to lead us along that straight path, and that's why we need to repent and turn to the Lord and ask the Spirit of the Lord to empower us. He says, For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Friends, Jesus gives us the solution that the Old Testament people didn't have. Jesus gives us the answer that Ezra didn't have. Jesus gives us the answer that Nehemiah didn't have. Jesus gives us the answer that Zerubbabel didn't have. Is that Jesus says, I, when he walked on this earth with the disciples, he said, it's important for me to go back to my Father because if I go back to my Father, I will send the Spirit of God upon you. And when the Spirit of God comes upon you and empowers you, you will be able to live holy lives. This is the secret. This is the power of Christian living. This is the power of Holy Spirit-led living. This is the power of a holy life is as we yield ourselves to the Spirit of the Lord and crucify or mortify or put to death our sinful nature. We can't do it on our own, but it's done through the power of the Spirit. It is a blessing. It is a provision. It is a, a, a gift of God in this New Testament time because Jesus came and died for us and now pours His Spirit upon us. We have the opportunity to enjoy this, friends. Verse 26 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes even what we're doing, we don't realize maybe how sinful it is or how wrong it is, but it's the Holy Spirit that can come and convict us. Worship team, please come. This morning, I want us to do something a little bit different. I want us to have a tangible response to the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I need the Spirit of God. I don't know about you, I need to repent. I want to turn to the Lord with my whole heart. I want more of Jesus. I want more of his spirit. A number of decades ago in the United States, a man stole a car. And after this car was stolen, there was an intense search for the car. 
the police were putting out the news on the radios and trying to pass them to the local radio stations in order to find the thief of this car. Not because he was a thief, but because the owner had left some crackers on the passenger side seat that were laced with poison because he was going to use them as rat bait. And the police and the owner of the car were frantically looking and trying to find the person that stole the car. Friends, we might be like that thief. And maybe we're running away from God because we're afraid of the punishment. And maybe we're running away from God because we don't want to deal with the consequences of our actions. But God is running after us not to punish us, but to save us from death. God is running after us to save us from death because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're going to sing this song, Come to the Altar. And as the worship team leads us, I'm going to open up here this altar. We've been talking about altars these last couple of weeks. We've been talking about rebuilding the altar, rebuilding the house of God. And I'm going to open up this altar right now. And I'm going to invite, if you're watching online and you want to respond, I know you can't come physically here to the the front of the the, the stage to this quote-unquote altar, but can I ask you to do something in your home as an expression of you responding, whether that's standing up and moving to a certain place, or raising your hands, or kneeling down in your home, whatever it might be. And for those that are here, I want to invite you. I'm I'm going to come. I'm going to be right here in the front, because out of everyone here, you guys didn't know this when I started preaching, but I was preaching the message to myself, and you guys were just listening in. And so I'm going to be here, because I know I need more of Jesus, and I need the Spirit of God to change me. And I don't know what situation or circumstance you find yourself in today or what trial you're going through or what thing you know you need to change in your life and you find it difficult to change. Maybe you're like the children of Israel and thinking, how can I change this in my life? I've tried and tried and tried again and I keep failing and failing. I'm in this cycle of failure. I'm in this cycle of discouragement. I'm in this cycle of of no success. (laughs) Jesus has the solution. He's already had it. He's already done it. He died for you and for me. And not only that, he's given us everything for life and godliness. And he's poured out his spirit so that we can taste and enjoy of the fullness of his blessing. So as we sing, if you feel moved by the spirit of God to come forward, I want to invite you to come forward. And in repentance and in confession to the Lord, Let's rebuild this altar and let's ask Jesus and the Holy Spirit for help.